The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Oh, yeah, we do this every Thursday. President of your Seattle Mariners, kind enough to join us, deal with my nonsense. And now you get me out of the way, and we get to bring in the wheelhouse. Jerry, you re- you ready for the wheelhouse? A little early I'm for ready, the wheelhouse? I, I was... It was just introduced for the first time that we had a script for this shindig. I'm, I'm excited about this moving forward. Well, Jerry, uh, welcome to the Aaron Goldsmith Show with Brock Heward. It's, it's great. To, it's, it's Jerry, I, from the bottom of my heart, it's great to have you. How are you? Excellent, Goldie. I am, I am thrilled to hear your voice. Hey, likewise, man. Hey, tell me. First, I mean, we haven't talked in a while. Give me, give me the best thing that you have eaten since the final out of the season. What's, what's the best off-season meal for DePoto right now? Wow. The best thing I've eaten since the final out of the season. Uh, so we, were, we spent some of, our, uh, some of our holiday vacation in Hawaii. And at Maui, where we haven't been in a couple of years since the pandemic. So I had a Vietnamese crepe uh, at Star Noodle in, in Maui, Hawaii, which is... It's the best thing that I ate this off season. It's a phenomenal, and it's a. It seems simple. Uh, I'm not. I'm not in tune with creating my own Vietnamese crepes, but I would. I would traverse the Pacific to do it again. Well, I mean, do tell what what is the inside of said Vietnamese crepe? Yeah, it, it, it looks to the naked eye like a lettuce wrap, but oh, the naked eye can can deceive. It is. Uh, it's so much more than a lettuce wrap. It's just. Wonderful ooey gooey goodness with some shrimp and it wrapped in in a butter leaf lettuce leaf that, that I I can't describe it as it's it is joy and it was actually one of those things that uh, that lands on the best things I ever eat list uh, that that sometimes comes across the the Food Network so it was intentional to go and try it and. And it was it was all that it was purported to be. I actually went back a second time during our trip there to get it again. It was a trip. Hey, did, do my sources report correctly? I'm going to be embarrassed if this is a major whiff. Did you see Big Sims at baggage claim in Maui? I did. It was it was an, not only did I see him at baggage claim in Maui, but on on Christmas Christmas Day, as I'm standing, you know, hands on hips gazing out over the Pacific at an amazingly large sea turtle that had decided to crawl up on the beach about 15 feet up in front of us. You know, I, much like Cousin Eddie in Christmas Vacation, you know, I, I felt another body sidle up next to me, and I turned around, and it was, it was, it was Big Dave. And then we sat there ogling the, the turtle on the seashore and, and talking about the, the wonders that is Maui at Christmas time. See, now, I, I'm, you know I'm of... I'm a good person, Jerry, but it does. It, I do get jealous of that because I want to be the guy on the crew to ogle a turtle with Jerry on Christmas Day. And the fact that I got left out of that is disappointing to me. But I'm glad Dave has exclusivity over something. That's important, I think. Everybody needs to have something. I, I think so. And it, and, and it won't surprise you. I'm sure you'll be thrilled to know that I do have footage of, of both events. I have footage of said Vietnamese crepe and the, the giant sea turtle on the seashore. Well, this is five minutes of the Jerry DePoto show, unlike any five minutes in the history of the Brock and Salk show. I'm kind of digging the wheelhouse. This this may uh, work moving forward. But I am going to intervene because I'm going to embarrass uh, Mr. Goldsmith. I'm going to make him a little red maybe here, Jerry, because it has been a cool week for him. 
Uh, news was out last week or early this week about possibly losing Goldie to the to his hometown, St. Louis Cardinals, and you certainly felt on the social media realms and in, in the media realms, for that matter, in Seattle here, like no, 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 that can't that can't happen. And eventually, uh, it looks like Aaron is going to be retained. It's going to be a Seattle Mariner for time to come. He's come to that decision from your perspective, right? Been in baseball for decades and decades and decades around some of the very best in it from a broadcasting standpoint. What does it mean to have Aaron Goldsmith back in Seattle and not going to the Midwest? It's, it's why I said I was thrilled to hear his voice when we started. I, I think that we are blessed in our market to have a wonderful set of broadcasters to, to listen to, you know, the, the, the Mariners team, Goldie and blow and, and Dave and, and Rick and Gary, just Shannon, it's just a phenomenal job that they do. Uh, and, you know, Aaron in particular, we've spent a lot of time together over these last six or seven, you know, now going on eight years, I guess. And, and uh, it's not just the, the, the golden tubes that you hear, you know, bellowing over the airways. It's a, a genuine curiosity about what's happening in baseball and, and asking good questions and developing good relationships. And, and I truly am thrilled that he's still here. Well, that's very nice of you, man. Brock, you didn't need to say that. But, uh, Jerry, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Uh, we will pivot to the uh, more important things here. Uh, not that crepes aren't great, uh, but uh, let's talk obviously a little a little M's baseball here, Jerry. And you know, there's a boy. There's a lot of different angles we can go here. But uh, I was wondering the other day, I was thinking about your roster, the way it's constructed right now, and obviously expectations at an all time high as they should be for the Mariners. When you talk about your ball club, it's really hard for you not to talk about Jared Kelnick. People have lots of questions year after year about Jared and what he will become. When you think of this season for Jared Kelnick, what will be a successful 2023 for Kelnick? I I think end-to-end traction. You know, where it is not, you know, a two or three day stretch or it's not an exciting homestand and it's not underlying information that, that you're you know, hopeful will turn into results, but, but actually taking the skills that he has and, and the, and the big tools that, that he possesses and, and turning it into, you know, day in, day out contribution. What that means in a slash line, I can't tell you. I do know Jared will play good defense. He will run the base as well. You're going to see the the, the power play. Uh, it's the consistency and the day to day at bats, and and not riding the waves. Everybody goes high and low. You're going to slump in a season, but you know if Jared if Jared can keep his head above water, especially at the start, uh, and let those let those skills play, I think you will see what he's capable of. And I you know I'd add, add this: I, Justin Hollander said to me I don't know, about a week or ten days ago. You know what we still have to remember with Jared he's Jared's younger than either of the two quarterbacks that played in the national championship game this year. <laughs> so it's, you know, he, he's still, you know, he's still a very young player by, by age and, and he has some experience at the big league level. And, and I, we really do think that there's so much more in his tank. Jerry, last week we were talking about zips and fan graphs and lots of those projections. The MLB Network uh, this week and and building up, and I think we're three weeks away from pitchers and catchers down there in Peoria and around baseball. Uh, MLB Network's coming out with their top ten players at each and every position. So they rank them all, and and they haven't done their starting pitchers nor catchers yet. And I think by all estimation, both the Big Dumper and Luis will be on that list. 
And so by counting, it's going to have at least seven. Ty France, Ty Oscar, Julio, uh, Colton, and Munoz. Uh, five Mariners already in the top ten of their position. Do you read into that at all? Does that make any difference in Jerry Depoto and Justin Hollander and your organization's world whatsoever that a network, MLB network in this case, starting to find a lot more Mariners in the top 10 at their position than in the years past? I sure it does. You know, it's a, it, it suggests to us that we're, we, we have good players. <laughs> and, and I do think we, we have good players. And, and you didn't even mention Gino Suarez, who, while third base is about as robust right now as maybe any time in, in baseball history, uh, Gino's a good player. And to, to, to have that kind of depth with what we think are, you know, strong every day to impact players across the diamond is, is exciting. And, you know, and we still feel like there's so much opportunity for upside growth with this team because in some cases, like Goldie hit on with, with JK or, you know, JP Crawford coming back, what we think is fully healthy. And, you know, after a, a season that wasn't as, as strong as the previous two, this is, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, to tap into, you know, some more with, with guys like that and even some of our young pitchers. Since you brought up JP, Jerry, what is the organization's thought right now on finding intentional days of rest for JP Crawford over the course of 162? We know he's a grinder. I've never heard Scott praise a player's makeup consistently, year after year, quite like he has J.P. Crawford. That's not a knock on anybody. I think it's more just straight praise for your shortstop. But we know that since his journey began in Seattle, one of the conversations that the Oric has had with J.P. Crawford is to strengthen himself to a point where he can play 162. And we have seen him go wire to wire. But I have a hard time, Jerry. My eyes aren't good enough to know when a player is worn down and needs a day. You guys are that smart. You guys also have the the metrics and the tools that will help aid you in knowing that. Is there thought going forward to against a tough lefty after a string of 15, 18, 20 days in a row, you've got Dylan Moore, you can give Dylan a day at short and you give JP a blow and that will make him better and will make him stronger and help him over the course of 162. Is that, is that a thought? Not only is it a thought, it's something we're committed to doing more frequently this year. And, you know, we, we spoke to JP about it earlier this off season uh, about planning those days. And, and, you know, you know, you've been around JP a lot. JP is one of the most competitive players that you'll encounter. And, and, and you wouldn't really, you know, catch this. If I asked you to, to, to pick out, you know, that those on our team who are really the old school throwback, grinders that that get out there and they view themselves as everyday players that and in the Cal Ripken Lou Gehrig mold JP's that guy you know he's he shows up to play every day and you know but what we've observed is that the season does take its toll on he's he's a very slim athletic bodied guy and you know it's a it's when you're playing 18 20 days in a row get a day off and you do it again at a position as taxing as shortstop, you know, it's it, it's not easy, and you know I I can't tell you if it's going to be you know five days or ten days, but we are going to bake in some off days there, and and we have a particular advantage in that we really do believe in in Demo's ability to to cover us at shortstop, and we are going to play in a division where there is a flood of left-handed starters, uh, no matter where you go. So there's going to be great opportunity to give JP a day uh, to, to just take a breath and, 
and and stay strong through the season and and hopefully that allows us over the course of you know what we hope is closer to 180 games to to play it play deep with what we think is one of our it that is one of the positions on our field where we feel like we can make the most progress is is helping jp take that next step Safe to say, Jerry, that maybe doing away with some of these shifts will also help these players understand just because that body's going to bark that much more. Your second baseman, your shortstops in particular, and, and, and the ground they're going to have to cover and some of that range that we're going to see come back into play, or is that an over-exaggeration? Oh, I don't think it's an over-exaggeration. I think it's a real thing. And, and you know, it's part of the appeal to us in Colton Long and and part of why he shows up on lists of the best second baseman in the league is, you know, Colton, from a range perspective, even in what was otherwise, you know, an atypical season for him defensively, his range is still among the best in the league, if not at the top of that that food chain. So, you know, he is, uh, he's got that quick lateral burst and can really cover that ground. And that takes away some of the sting of not being able to play a second baseman out in the point of a triangle that that you've seen for most of the last decade. And, and similarly with JP, you know, he moves very well laterally and particularly as he goes toward that five hole, you know, the, the play that's going away from first base where, where I think he's excelled over time and, you know, this year Perry Hill will be earning his dough, and 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 I suspect in in spring training they're going to get after it, working on a lot of things that that will. Whereas before, much of our work in the in the mornings was focused on on how to turn a double play where the third baseman is the pivot at second base, coming out of a triangle, and you know nuanced things that you didn't see 20 years ago. I think we'll go back to some form of of what Perry would have been teaching, you know, prior to the, the massive overshift. Uh, Jerry, when we talk about the shift being banned and needing to have two players on either side of second base, feet on the dirt when the pitch is released, I think we immediately start thinking about the advantages that that will give hitters, and understandably so. But I think something that Mariners fans probably either got used to over the last few years or uh, maybe just took for granted, and it would be an easy thing to do, is how much of an advantage the shift gave your ball club. And that's not just to say the shift, but it really seemed like you all developed a a great process for positioning and for implementing the shift. And the public numbers available indicate that the Mariners were in the top five, roughly, if not even maybe slightly higher in terms of percentage of uh, plate appearances with the shift on, especially uh, against lefties, of course. How do you balance the when you kind of forecast, you look in your crystal ball as to what this next season is going to hold with no shift? How do you balance the advantage that it will give your hitters, uh, but also how how much of an advantage it has given your pitchers? Because only you know the the private data that you guys keep internally as to how many uh, runs that prevented over the course of 162. You know, it's it's funny you ask. We have a handful of hitters, you know, you know, among them Cal Raleigh, who, you know, as a left-handed hitter especially, was among the most, I guess, penalized hitters in the league last year due to the shift, maybe number one. And, and if he wasn't number one, Carlos Santana was right there. Uh, Jared Kelnick is another that, that really suffered with, you know, some of the shifting. And we feel like the combination of what those guys could do, you know, moving forward offensively is probably, you know, neutralized a little bit by what we are going to have to deal with in, in reshifting or repositioning our defense. We have had a great deal of success 
in, in that regard. We're one of the shiftiest teams in the league. You know, we tend to uh, convert those batted balls to outs as frequently, maybe more frequently than, than almost every other team in the league. We have been, you know, among the top five pretty consistently dating back to 2016, regardless of, of who was playing. And, and that was, you know, that was one of the, the reasons why, again, just focusing on Colton Wong, you know, adding Colton to the mix just gives us, we have a good defensive player at every position on the infield. And, and that's going to be required in a different way than it was, you know, maybe to, over the course of the last decade where you could, you could trick them a little bit with, with positioning and, and convert those outs. I still think we will be an above average defensive team, but, you know, a credit to our analytics department, to Jesse Smith and John Chenier, what they've been able to do in, in, in building plans for us to, to, to better defend. We're going to have to find a new trick, and, you know, that's on us. Uh, Jerry, you mentioned Shannon Dreyer earlier. She was on with us earlier this week. Ryan Divish was on with the Afternoon Guys this week. They both echoed the similar sentiment, and that was that with the WBC and just kind of the, the schedule and, and everything else that's going to lay out over the next few weeks, it may be hard to see further trades, that this roster and this team that we're looking at with these Mariners is largely going to be the team we'll see in three weeks is this WBC throwing a little wrench into maybe some of the trade market and what could have been uh, leading up to spring training? Huh. You know, I, I don't think so. I, I actually, I would be shocked if, uh, if we didn't see multiple trades between now and spring training around the league, just based on the rhetoric we are hearing and the conversations that we're having, you know, whether we are among them remains to be seen, but you know, the, the WBC is going to, it's, it's, it brings us to spring training earlier and clearly takes a lot of impact players away for a period of time. But I think clubs are still going to go about their business and build their roster, you know, the way they think they should. And, you know, and the WBC is, you know, it, it is going to be the tree that's falling, no matter if you're in the woods or out, <laughs> they're, they're going to play it. And, and we still have to go build our team the way we think it should be built over 162. And, and, and I do think that the, the pace at which this season's free agent market, uh, I guess, proceeded. It, it, the top 50 free agents were off the board in a blank compared to most standard years. And, and I'm not sure there was enough time, you know, through November, December, you know, even, you know, right up through and I guess the coming out of the holidays for the trade market to, to really, I guess, blow up and and i do think you'll see a handful of trades between here and and spring training as teams and you're watching it now with the royals and the twins and the red sox there are moves happening it's just a matter of whether we are a part of it jerry i I don't know if there's a question that a director of baseball ops or a general manager or a manager despises more than talking about starting pitchers and innings limits <laughs> like that's never that's never an easy thing to traverse from a, a person in your perspective but it is a topic that obviously needs to be discussed and it was discussed greatly last year it, it really it shouldn't be overlooked and I'm afraid it, it might have been or maybe we just all didn't appreciate it to the extent that we should have last year that you had a rotation Jerry that went wire to wire and it's a great credit to your training staff. It's a great credit uh, to your pitchers themselves for, for taking taking the time and preparing well and, and recovering well. You're now in a position where, and we saw at the end of last year, obviously, uh, Flexen was moved to the bullpen. And there was great thought in the community that 
you would be trading a pitcher at some point over this season. As we speak right now, you, you have, if you wanted, you have six starting pitchers, and you have a rotation where you have one especially young pitcher in Kirby. You have another young pitcher in Logan Gilbert. You have three guys who ended the season in your rotation that are established veterans. And one of those, Luis Castillo, maybe part of the reason, maybe a part of the reason why he was so good down the stretch was that he his arm was fresher than others. He did miss approximately a month of the year because of a, a shoulder issue, I believe, when he was with Cincinnati prior to the trade. So innings will again be something to monitor and to discuss and think about. You have six starters. Has there been thought internally of a six-man rotation? How are you approaching how that will be uh, forecasted for this season for your rotation, which is, of course, a, a major strength of your ball club right now? You know, I mean, dating back to, boy, I could go back to 2017, if, if I thought about it, with the number of times we've discussed, you know, six-man rotations or the viability of it. We did it for a period of time and in 2019 and 2021, uh, there are, there are benefits to it. You know, that said, we haven't really had that conversation with this group and, you know, we are more likely to go into spring training with the, the six starters that you presently see. We're also more excited about the depth and back of our top six, you know, guys like Dollard and Hancock and Wu and Miller, who, who really excite us about the next, you know, I guess, wave of, of pitching talent coming to Seattle but we'll get to spring training and we are going to, to be a little bit more methodical in how we develop our innings, especially, you know, considering the, the young guys and what they did and, and taking that big step forward innings wise. And that's where, you know, it, it's really, it goes under the radar, how valuable, you know, Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez and, and even flex, regardless of whether he was moved to the bullpen last year, these guys can go out there and churn innings and, you know, give or take 10, you're going to throw about 1,450 innings in a year. And when you can get, you know, a, a Ray or a Gonzalez or a Flexen who can go out and take out 185 to 210 of those innings and, and do it at, at league average or better rates in terms of, of run suppression, you're in a really good position because that allows the other guys to, to do what they do. And, and we're seeing traits in Kirby and in Gilbert, and 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 we know this to be true of, of Castillo. Like they they have the, the impact ability, and in, in whatever innings they throw, from 170 to to, to 200, to to really change a staff. So uh, it's we are going to be really leaning on on those guys who have history of of churning the innings, and and it's an important part of how our team is built. I'll tell you what. You had me at Vietnamese crepe. The ooey gooey <laughs> shrimp stuff. You kind of had me yeah, 22 I, I, minutes ago. For me, it was more ugly than a turtle. I'll be honest. Was I mean, it more the Yeah, I mean, turtle? the crepe sounded great, but when you involve sea turtles, yep. it's, it's... Either way, you had us right from the jump and carried us all the way through the Jerry DePoto Show. Once again, Jerry, thank you so much for doing this every Thursday. I can't believe in three weeks, pitchers and catchers will be reporting as we continue to get closer and closer. And we, uh, we do appreciate every Thursday that you uh, sit down and join us. And this week, a little preview of the, uh, the wheelhouse. And I got a little warm-up, a little spring training for the old wheelhouse as well. So thank you, Jerry. Appreciate you, ma'am. All right, guys.